can, I mean, I think you can answer your own question. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Uh, there's a couple of ways in which um, Islam is 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 idolatry. The 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 obvious one is is that Allah, uh, the God who spoke to Muhammad, was um, was fabricated out of the imagination of a man who history has demonstrated to be a uh, a murderer and a uh, abuser of women and and possibly even deranged. Um, and the God that he described is the antithesis of this God that's described here. So either that God exists or this God exists. Um, I would suggest to you that that one doesn't and this one does. And so there's, there's one way in which it's idolatry. And the, and the other way that Islam is idolatry, guys, um, is that how in Islam is a man reconciled to Allah? Um, what, what is their method of reconciling themselves to, to, uh, to the God of Islam? Well, it's, it's by human performance. It's, um, you remember those five pillars? I mentioned them to you a couple months ago. Uh, five pillars of Islam. So Islam, you see, does not offer you a savior. Islam offers you a path, um, on which you might save yourself. Or be your own savior. And there you, there you have it. Uh, you're right back to the enslavement to some kind of idol and that idol being my own performance. I'm, I'm simply saying guys that what Paul, um, hints at in verse eight is you were enslaved to those that were not gods, uh, when, before you became a Christian. It is either Christ or idolatry. That's your, that's, that's, it's pretty much that simple. Um, without Jesus Christ, all religion is idolatry. Now that's that's uh, what we were kind of um, discussing last week, and, and we come to verse nine. And um, <laughs> I, I told you a couple of weeks ago that there's a rebuke here. That these two verses, verses eight and nine, are transitional, and he's going to rebuke the Gentiles. It's in verse nine, but we're not going to get to it tonight. <laughs> we'll get to the rebuke next week. I got something else in this text that I that I. That I wonder if you see, I wonder when you read your Bibles, uh, you know, you got a Bible in your hand and you're studying the book of Galatians and you come to Galatians chapter four, verse nine, and you see this. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, I wonder if that causes any sense of pause in you. Does anybody stop and say, hmm, um, I wonder what's going on here. Um, guys, this is, um, this is quite a theological gem that you have in front of you in verse nine. Um, it's um, it's quite a beginning to a verse. Um, but now that you have come to know God, or or and Paul corrects himself, or rather to be known by God. Gang, can you see the difference in those two things? Because the the difference is enormous. Absolutely enormous. Um, now, let, let me tell you what, or let me point you to the difference, and then you can, you can figure out whether you want to buy into it or not. Um, he's making a contrast. You know, you used to be enslaved to things that weren't God's, but now, and by the way, that's a, that's a Pauline formula. He, he often uses it. He uses it in Romans chapter 3, uses it in Ephesians chapter 4. It's like he states this, in, but now. Um, Lloyd Jones used to talk about the gospel in conjunctions. Uh, there's a conjunction, the conjunction, but 
The gospel is because now he's introducing the gospel. But now you've come to know God or rather be known by God. Gang, do you get the difference in those two things? Because you see, guys, um, our knowledge of God. Are you ready? It is not active. It is passive. Um, people hate that idea. And yet, I, I wonder what you do when you come to this clause in the midst of verse 9. Uh, now that you've kind of known God, or rather, to be known by God. Um, the knowledge that you started with <laughs> in, is something that happened to you not actively but passively. Um, let me try to explain that. And I'm going to spend the rest of my time with you trying to explain that. In fact, we're going to do something very boring. Very boring tonight. And I know you're looking forward to it. Um, God, uh, guys, God brings the gospel to us and, and endows us with faith via the work of the Holy Spirit. Which is called, and we've, we've, we've worn this word out for a while, it's called regeneration. Let's see, that's just not my fault. Um, uh, I have, well, anyway. Um, now listen, guys. Uh, God brings the gospel to us and then endows us with faith through the work of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me show you. Hey, I... Uh, you're going to have to track me down. You're going to have to track around a little bit tonight. Uh, I want you to go to a very famous uh, passage in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, everybody knows this one. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'll take my yoke upon you and learn of me because I'm weak and lowly and you find rest for your souls. You know that one, don't you? Well, um, uh, that's verse 29 and 30. But I want you to take a look at um, verse 27 and 28. Well, I actually, just verse 27. I, I, I read you verse 28 and 29. Come unto me, all ye that labor. Look at verse 27 with me. This is Matthew eleven twenty-seven. 27. All things, Jesus says, have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. By the way, I can show you that a couple, three times. I mean, just that one statement, it's, it's mentioned in several, all the Gospels, all the synoptics, at least. Gang, all right. You're going to have to think with me, all right? All right, I want you to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. All the way back to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis is the first book in the Bible. Okay? Genesis chapter 6. I'm going to read you a, a statement that you've heard of before. Um, here we go. We're trying to address that clause in Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, about our knowledge of God being passive, not active. All right, here we, we're, we're trying to explain that. All right? Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The Lord saw that the wicked, verse 5. 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I, I, you've seen that text before. Okay, now this is pre-flood. You know, Noah and his ark has not happened yet. 
God looks down and says, here's the condition of the human heart. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. So that's the problem. So having seen that, he sends the flood. But ladies and gentlemen, the flood did not change that. Uh, The problem is that heart. By the way, uh, you got one of those too. And so what does God do to correct that heart? Because if he doesn't correct this heart, then you'll continue to have every intent of the thoughts of his heart only evil continually. You'll continue to have that heart. And God can send, or God, I mean, the, the flood didn't, didn't change this. I, we had kind of a new start, but it didn't change the heart. So what does God do? Well, he gives you, he gives you one of those things. And uh, we've looked at this text too uh, before. Go to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36, 26 reads like this. And I will give you a new heart. <laughs> okay, guys. The, the, the uh, unregenerate human heart, that is before it's been born again, is aptly described this way. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. Okay, if that's true, then how are any of us ever going to um, have any interest in the things of Jesus Christ? Well, God is going to have to give you a new heart. And that's what he says he's going to do. And he does that in this thing called regeneration. The work of the Holy Spirit in regeneration is designed to address this heart that is described in Genesis chapter 6. He gives you a new heart. Okay? Uh, God brings the gospel to us and endows us with faith via this work of the Holy Spirit. Um, let, let, me, let me try to illustrate it again. I've done this before, too. Um, um, Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to go there. Genesis chapter 3. It's Adam and Eve. They've been told what to do and what not to do. They disobey. And as a result of their disobedience, they're gripped with the, with the gravity of their sin. And so they begin to chase after in the direction of where they think God is and pleading with him to... to um, to forgive them. That's not what they do. They hide in the bushes and sow fig leaves together, trying to cover their own shame as a, role, a shame that's the result of their sin. So, in Genesis chapter three, here's your here's the question, class: Who seeks whom? Well, obviously, God seeks Adam. Now, when did that change? It hasn't. It hasn't changed. Unless God seeks you, you will... In fact, if you are seeking him, it's because he sought you first. Gang, do you know the text? In, where is it? It's First John... 
is it two or four? Um, um, I want to say it's four. First John four. Let's, let me quote it to you. We love because we have first been loved. Do you know why you love Jesus Christ tonight? Because you were first loved. He came after you the same way he came after Adam. And he endowed you. He endowed you with the gift of faith through this work of the Holy Spirit and regeneration. He changed your heart. And if he, had had, if he had not changed your heart, you would never pursue him. You would have never sought him. You would have never desired him. You would have never wanted him. Now, <clears throat> why am I... Why am I, why am I why, why, why are you telling us all this, Dr. Young? I mean, you know, we're studying Galatians. Yeah, here's this clause. But not that you came to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Knowledge of God is passive, not active. That initial burst of interest in the things of God is the result of him having done this, of him having performed Ezekiel 36 surgery on your heart. He took out that one that's described in Genesis 6 and he put in a new one. And all of a sudden we become interested in lovers of God. We love him because he first loved us. Um, Not that you know God, but that you've been known by God. Now guys, let me me spend the rest of the evening just um, trying to underscore that little little clause there in Genesis 6-4. you know, the, you know the passage in the Bible that's the, that's the toughest, um, most alarming statement in all of Scripture. You know that, don't you? It's found in Matthew 7. You know that one? Uh, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Or did we not work great works in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, from me because you didn't know me. It doesn't say that, does it? Depart from me, I never knew you. Okay? Now, guys, if you've been to my house for supper or dessert, you know, Susie and I don't do those anymore because we're so old and decrepit that um, to do one takes weeks off of our lives. Um, And, I mean, it's just... Anyway, but you know, we used to go around the room and we used to say... Tell us something interesting about yourself. Give us something memorable about you. Remember that? Remember how we used to do that? It was all, I mean, we used to laugh a lot in those things. Um, but it, it, at the end, it was my wife's turn. And my wife, would, she was going to tell you something that you didn't know about uh, her. And she always said the same thing. I got bored stiff with it. But of course, she's listened to me for 45 years too. But I'm stimulating. Um, uh, <laughs> She says, um, she said, here's what I want you to know about me. Elvis kissed me. Remember that? Elvis kissed me. Did you know that Elvis kissed my wife? Did you know that? I mean, didn't y'all not hear? Did you, or y'all not listening? I mean, Elvis kissed my wife. Okay. Okay. You, you know the story. She was a brownie scout trooper or whatever they were. Little brownies, little girls, you know, in the uh, whatever that is, the brownies. And um, 
Um, and they were, they went to see Love Me Tender at the movies downtown at the Lowe's Palace. And they were driving back to their house and they drove past Elvis's house out there right off of Park. And he was out in the front yard and they all stopped, got out of the car and ran up to him and he kissed each of the brownies. All right. My wife, <laughs> my wife knows Elvis, knows Elvis. I mean, she kissed him. I mean, he kissed her. <laughs> now, should we be able in some way to resurrect Elvis and say, hey, Elvis, do you know Susie Betzelberger? He would probably have a very difficult time remembering, not to say that my wife is not memorable, but remembering. You see, the, 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 the point at that the, 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 the issue at that point is not whether Susie knew Elvis, but does Elvis know Susie? In Matthew chapter 7, ladies and gentlemen, the issue is not what you say about how much you know Jesus. The issue is, does he know you? Now, I told you we're going to do something very boring. Here it comes. We're going to do a word study, okay? Now, if nothing else, if you don't profit from this one iota, you'll at least get a sense that maybe you ought to slow down when you're studying your Bibles, okay? Now, look again at Galatians 4.9. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. Okay, guys. We are going to do a word study on the word to know. Are you ready? I don't want you to start with me in Genesis chapter 4. This is called a word study, and you're going to, oh, it's just going to be, but it might have a little bit of interest as we close. Okay? Gang, there are so many words in the Bible that the only way to understand them is to figure out how the Bible uses them. How does the Bible use the word? Um, let, let me just give you an example. Um, um, all of you Baptists in here have been taught that the word baptizo means immersion. It does not. And I, and I, I challenge you, here's what you got to do. You got to go to the Bible and find out where this word is found and find out how the Bible uses that word. Or how about the word elpis? How the Bible uses the word elpis, that's the Greek word for hope. Or how about the word propitiation? If you're going to understand the word propitiation, you got to go and find out how does the Bible use the word propitiation? Okay, tonight all we're asking is, how does the Bible use the Hebrew term um, uh, yada? Or the Greek word gnosko? To know. Now, look with me at Genesis chapter 4 verse 1. And Adam knew Eve, his wife. 
Huh. Here's what happened that night in the tent. He uh, walks in once the, the, the sun has gone down and he says to his wife, Adam, it uh, was his wife, Eve. He says, hi, madam, I'm Adam. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you think that's what happened? Do you think that's what that means right there, ladies and gentlemen? Of course not. Of course you don't. Do you see? Adam knew his wife. Oh, uh, how about going over to chapter 30, uh, uh, Genesis chapter 38. Genesis chapter 38, verse 26. Then Judah identified them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I did not give her to my son, Shelah, and he did not know her again. What's that mean? Uh, what are they trying to tell you there? Huh? Well, I'll let all you, um, folks figure that out. How about going to 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1? We're doing a word study. Isn't this boring? I love to bore people. Um, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 19. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. What are they talking about there? How about 1 Kings chapter 1? Um, oh, I like this one. Verse 4, the young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. What's it saying? I'm trying to be delicate here. Um, now, that, that's how many? Is that four or five? Let me show you one more. One, uh, if you can find Amos real fast. Amos is one of the minor prophets. Um, Amos chapter three. Now listen to this, guys. Um, this is Amos chapter three, verse two. God is speaking and he says, uh, he's speaking to Israel and he says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. All those nations out there, I only know one of them. I don't know those others. Never met them. Gang, do you understand what I'm trying to say? The word to know, yada in the Hebrew and gnosko in the, in, the, in the Greek, that the word to know is used in the Bible not to describe the possession of information. When God says about Israel, of all the families of the earth, only you I have known. That is, only you have I entered into an intimate relationship with. Only you have I established intimacy with you. Now, you go back to Galatians chapter 4, verse, verse 9. Now that you come to know God, or rather, to be known by God. Guys, do you know what that says? It says that God has seen fit for his own sovereign purposes to enter into 
an intimate relationship with you. And you, ladies and gentlemen, did not initiate that. You didn't hunt him down. He hunted you down. And he entered into a relationship of intimacy with you. He knows you. When Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. The point is not that Jesus and you have not been introduced. The point is, I have not set, I have not entered into a relationship of intimacy with you. I know that you've got all these religious, this all this religious pedigree, and you've done all these things, but I never knew. Hey, gang, I got one more before we quit, but do you see when you, when you, you come to Galatians chapter 4, verse 9, and you, and you hurry over these, verse, these words, what you missed? Um, but now, says Paul, um, now that you come to know God, or, or, or rather, to be known. To be known! <coughs> He um he came and tracked you down. He chased you across the the highways and the byways. And he took that heart of yours that was every intent of it was only evil continually. He took that one out. And he gave you a new one. In this work of the Holy Spirit called regeneration. And as a result of his having done that. He now knows you. I love him. Because he first loved me. Now one other thing we're done but I I would like for you to turn to this one. I want you to go to John chapter 17. Hey guys, that is the briefest, because that's all the time we got. That is a brief word study. Sometimes when you're studying your Bibles, you read over these words and you assign meanings to them. I mean, just like these other words that I, like baptizo. Um, I mean, baptizo does not mean immersion. There's There's not a... there's not an uh, ordained clergy in this in, in the staff of this church that believes that baptizo means immersion. Nobody believes that. But uh, um, uh, Justin McCain was taught that, weren't you, Justin? <laughs> we talked about it yesterday. But it's 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 important that you track down how the how the Bible uses the word. Okay, that's what a word study. That's a, that, that's that's what we just did. But now. We come to uh, the, the closing hours of um, Jesus' life. 
Um, in fact, uh, uh, you, you know, you, 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 you pray the Lord's Prayer. Well, no, you don't. We don't pray the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is John 17. The one we pray is the one he taught us to pray. But the one that he prayed is this one, the high priestly prayer, John 17. Uh, very few chapters in all the Bible richer than John 17 because it is a glimpse of Jesus praying. I mean, I tell you what, go read it tonight and just notice the, the, the names that he uses to address God the Father. Notice the names that he uses. <laughs> you, you might be surprised. Uh, write them down on a sheet of paper. And then the next time you address the Father, you might want to use the same names he uses instead of the ones that 21st century evangelicalism has taught us. But here's, that's not my point. Jesus is praying, um, let me, um, when Jesus had spoken, verse 1, um, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all to whom you have given him. Now here it comes. And this is eternal life. That they may know you. Gang, do you think for one second that eternal life consists of having certain intellectual grasps of the concept of a higher deity? That ain't how the word's used, ladies and gentlemen. This is eternal life. That they may have intimacy in relationship with you, Father. Because that's what the word to know means. Not simply some intellectual grasp. No. This is eternal life. That you might be in intimacy with the Father. That's what the word to know means, ladies and gentlemen. And so when you come to Galatians chapter 4, and he says, rather, you have come, um, rather, to be known by God. Here's what God has done. He has set his love on you. That's what it means to be known. By God. Our Father, um, would you give us a richer grasp, a deeper um, awareness of who we are because of the work that you have done in us? To uh, give us a new heart, to exchange that heart of rock that we had, and give us one that is pulsating with life. One um, that is the very evidence of your love for us and your, the, our intimacy that we share. Because indeed, O oh God, eternal life is to know you. 
to know you because we have been known by you. Um, what a rich gospel we get to preach. And I pray, O oh God, that you would use our preaching of it to draw all men to the Savior who in our eyes is altogether lovely. We pray, as always, in his name. Amen. Thanks, guys, and good night.